Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. One of the big, deep revelations for me was like realizing that I had had a person like Phil in my life who was a bit of a dark nanny, you know, that really haunted my sister and me. And um, I understood that uh, depth of what Rose was going through. And, I, you know, once that sort of revealed itself to me, I started to work with those, you know, ideas as well, you know, in the way that we shot the film and made Phil's footsteps really particular so we could always hear them with the little tingles of the spur and the, you know, the fall of the foot creeping up on her and always finding a little private moment to torture her in, you know, which was what the nanny used to do too. Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Clarissa Cruz, EW's Executive Editor. I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Rothkopf, EW's Senior Movies Editor. Hi, Josh. Hey. Today we have a special guest with us, EW's awards expert, Joey Nolfi. Hi, Joey. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Well, it's finally here. Sunday is the big day for the Oscars. And after weeks of interviews, special guests, back and forths, ups and downs, and second and third guessing, we've got our predictions for who will win. A little later in our episode, we're going to have an interview with Jane Campion, director of The Power of the Dog. But before we get to that, we're going to go through all the major categories and give you the state of the race as we head into the final day of voting. Also, this weekend was a surprising winner out of the PGA Awards, which we can talk about. But why don't we get right into it? Let's start with Best Supporting Actress. We're going to read the nominees and then hear from Joey, uh, who he thinks is leading and why. So Best Actress in a Supporting Role, we have Jessie Buckley, The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose, West Side Story, Judy Dench, Belfast, Kirsten Dunst, The Power of the Dog, and Anjanou Ellis, King Richard. What do you think, Joey? I mean, let's go with Katrina Balfe for Belfast. Um, no, uh, you know, as as much as I love Judy Dench and Belfast um, and think that she is wonderful here, Jesse Buckley is fantastic in The Lost Daughter. Can't say enough about Kirsten Dunst and Anjanou Ellis in their films. I think Ariana DeBose, I mean, hands down, she has swept the precursors. Also, she is like doing... Like she is acting with a capital A. She is dancing with a capital D. Mm -hmm. She is singing her ass off. I mean, (laughs) so she is doing things like she's displaying a skill set that a lot of the other actresses in this category are just simply not doing in their performances. They're Uh all acting with capital A's only and Mm -hmm. Ariana's doing it all. So I think that she really speaks to the, you know, cross talent uh, skill set that she has here and that's really speaking to the actors so far um, on the precursor circuit so yeah I think she's safe here she's also I think working it maybe a little more than the and Joe you could tell me if you agree or disagree with this but I, I I feel like she's in a way been more visible and that's partly by dint of her winning so many awards and giving so many speeches but you know she she did SNL I think she's been a little bit more visible and I and she's so incredibly charming and 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 modest in her accepting speeches. So there's a lot of goodwill going in her direction. 
Yeah, and she's um, you know, she's a relative newcomer in the sense that we have not seen her at an award ceremony like this before on this scale. So I think that was a little bit necessary to sort of get her name out there. Um, I don't think it necessarily hit the same way that maybe some Academy voters were turned off by how hard someone like Gaga was campaigning and Best Actress. I think that it was more seen as like the rise of a yeah, like an ingenue or something in, in her case. That's what I was going to say. Like this category in particular seems to like an ingenue. Yeah. Oh, for yeah. sure. Yes. And so I think not ingenue. I wish it were. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yes. I didn't even think of that, but that's so true. Uh huh. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So why don't we, why don't we also ask while we're here, Joey, who would you wish would win this? It's tough for me between Kirsten and Anjanu. Um, mm. I think that I was so pleasantly surprised by the depth of the performance that Anjanu gave in King Richard. You know, you go into that film expecting yeah. that it's going to be the Will Smith show, but like there mm. really is, you know, the queen behind the king. And she really gives that movie a heart um, beyond just Will's performance. So I think she is so vital to that movie. But my vote, I would probably go with Kirsten uh, mm-hmm. just because it's more of a career achievement for me with her. She gives a fantastic performance that sort of matches the tone of the film so well. But I mean, she's just so overdue. It's just insanity that this is her first Oscar nomination. So I, yeah, yeah, totally I'd agree. Totally yeah. agree. I'm with I'm with you on Kirsten. I mean, I, I do agree. It's a lifetime achievement, even though it's not like she's old. Um, but I, I mean, her performance in that movie was so fantastic and I think grounded it in, in a really powerful way. I'm just astounded that she's never gotten a nomination before. So, um, you know, if it wasn't going to be Ariana, I, I, I do hope it's Kirsten. Yeah, I, I, I love Kirsten Dunst in The Power of the Dog and saw it again recently and was so moved by her. I think more than the other actors, really. If this was not in the realm of realism and we could pick whatever we wanted to win this, I, I would go with Jesse Buckley because I think that is the most, the trickiest, toughest performance in The Lost Daughter. Mm-hmm. And what she's doing is so hard. And I was really impressed with her in that. But I, I completely agree that I think this is Ariana DeBose's award to lose at this point. Why don't we move on to Best Actor in a Supporting Role? And here are the nominees that we have in this category. Kieran Hines for Belfast, Troy Kotzer for Coda, Jesse Plemons for The Power of the Dog, J.K. Simmons for Being the Ricardos, and Cody Smith-McPhee for The Power of the Dog. So, Joey, who do you think is going to take it? I think Troy Kotzer has the report card. He's won everywhere Mm. again, just like Ariana has. Um, It went from being a relatively wide open race when we were like, is it going to be Cody? Is it going to be Troy? We have Mm. no idea. At one point, Jamie Dornan was a name that everybody was throwing around. Um, I won't mention the name that you all don't want me to mention. Um, (laughs) But uh, that was certainly a contender here at some point as well that sort of dropped off near the end. Um, But I think it's really nice to see the industry sort of coalescing around Troy's performance because the second you see that movie, that is a performance that just speaks to people in and outside the context of the awards race. I mean, people watching at home that it, you know are only hearing about this movie because of the awards race, I guarantee they are coming away being like, who was this guy in this role? They're looking him up. It is that powerful of a performance that it's a truly, truly, truly like star-making turn, which is odd to say because he is someone who is a little older. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that this is really an arrival of sorts for him in ways yeah. that we haven't seen in this category for a while. So I'm just really excited to see him winning so much because he poured his heart and soul into this performance. And it's such a moving, 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 moving turn. And um, yeah, I am really going to be excited to see him win. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, and I think also his performance, I think, kept the movie from being too hallmarky, too maudlin, um, because he was so funny, you know, and, and just added that, that, yeah. that kind of, that kind of humorous edge. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do think he's the front runner for this one too. Um, I mean, Cody, I think was winning so much in the beginning, like he had so much momentum in the beginning, but that sort of faded, I think in the last, in the last few weeks. And it, it I mean, that's why this race is ex- exciting. I think when things, when it, when it becomes a horse race and, and, you know, it's, it's who, who's in the lead at the end. Um, but, but I agree with you there, Joey, with Troy. Yeah, it definitely is a good example of the kind of race that can pivot over over days, sometimes hours even. And Joey, you mentioned something I think that's very perceptive about Troy and that he's got, you know, this amazing experience. He's older and 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 I feel like that's something I'm hearing in his speeches. I think this is strategy and actually very savvy of him with the way he's saying talking about how he slept on couches like a lot of rising actors, struggling actors. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that's I think that's calculated and not necessarily shade being thrown at Cody, but Cody's 25 years old and Troy Kotzer is someone who's actually paid his dues. And I think this is subtle. This is, it's almost like it's, it's a subtle message. This is, it's Troy acknowledging the fact that he is a longtime veteran who's paid his dues. And I think that a lot of people will respond to that and have in his wins. So why is it that this category, it's, it's, it's like the opposite of an ingenue. And, and in the best supporting <laughs> right. actors, it's like it's. I mean, historically, Joey, like this, this does this this category does seem to have awarded kind of like the career performance, like uh, like the lifetime achievement. I, 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 you know, I'm sure you know more specific examples, but um, but I, I but I feel like in the past, um, it, it it definitely has gone in that direction. Yeah, I just feel like with with men that because the Academy for so long was such a male dominated organization, we're seeing that rapidly change in the past few years. I mean, it just sort of it felt almost like there was more of a like you would see older men winning because it's like, you know, this is the old boys club and, you know, you have to sort of. I don't know. It's a very strange thing to sort because we're so far on the outside of it to sort of only mm-hmm. gauge how they're thinking based on their picks. But it did sort of feel like it was this bastion of like, well, if you're an older guy, like you've paid your dues and, you know, you're going to get the award because you have the respect and the the track record built up. But then you get like very strange things like you know, you get like a nine-year-old Kavenjane Wallace getting a nomination yes. in Best Actress. And it's like you you see a lot of like younger women, um, like Anna Paquin and even Marley Matlin, star of CODA. Mm-hmm. She's the youngest Best Actress winner um, at 21 years old. So it's like, yeah, you, it, it's a weird age thing that is going on with a lot of these categories that is very gendered in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think it's hard to speculate on why that is because we're, we're not sort of in that mindset of the academy, but yeah. yeah, I think that's I think that's that that'll take a whole other podcast to, to right. To right. <laughs> yes. yeah. yeah, gendered and, and gendered. It's also because it's yeah, Hollywood has such a time a hard time honoring older actresses. I mean, that's still a, a real problem for us, yes. even much less casting them. So yes, Sean Connery or Jack Palance will win will win an Jack Oscar, in this. <laughs> right? You know, but it's, but I wish it were the other EW's way. target audience right there. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't we move on to the to the screenplay awards and we can we can start with best original screenplay and and the nominees in that category are Kenneth Branagh and Belfast and then we have Adam McKay and David Sirota for Don't Look Up, Zach Balin who wrote King Richard, Paul Thomas Anderson who wrote Licorice Pizza, and Eskil Vogt and Joachim Trier, the Norwegian screenwriters of The Worst Person in the World. 
Joey, what do you say? Oh, this is such a tough category. I, I, uh, I, I'm still, this is one I'm going back and forth on. I think there is such goodwill for Paul Thomas Anderson. So I'm like Mm -hmm. logically saying licorice pizza makes sense. But in doing a lot of these secret ballot interviews that we've been doing, it's like people are really ecstatic about Mm -hmm. worst person in the world and the actual Uh. structure of that. Mm -hmm. But also don't look up. I mean, just one at WGA. However, WGA does have a lot of exclusions this year that are more on the adapted side than they are on the original side. So I think you can read a little bit more into the WGA win for don't look up here than you can on the adapted side. Mm -hmm. But I, yeah, I, this is going to be the one where I think it's either, if it goes the way we're thinking, it's going to be like, okay, yeah, of course it did. And if it doesn't, this is going to be the big surprise category. Um, But if I had to pick one at this moment, I'm going to stay safe and say Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza, just because it did also get a lot of other nominations. But I also think Don't Look Up is the runner-up here. I think that that's yeah. very sensible. Like that, it, and and Paul Thomas Anderson's been winning these precursors, and sometimes that's kind of all you have to go on. Um, he's been nominated for this award um, four times, and and has has yeah. never won. So I mean, maybe he is due, as they say. When someone is due, I always like flinch at that language because sometimes that <laughs> it never pays off. Like Clarissa, what are you what are you thinking in this? Um, I mean. You know, it's, it is really hard. And those are the two that I'm struggling with because Adam McKay always has, I feel like he has so much love, um, from the academy. Like, you know, yeah, I know, I know not from you. We are, we we know that's clear, not from you. Or me. Yeah. But, uh, but, you you know, yeah, but, you know, this has happened in the past and he's still, you know, I, he still gets those nominations and, and, yeah. And it, and it, you know, so I think that he would be the biggest threat to Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess I would say that if I had to say who I wish would win, um, it would be uh, the worst person in the world. Um, because that Because that just, you know, I just love that movie so much. We've talked a lot about it on this podcast. And it's true. I mean, that's one of the things I didn't think about. Like I was thinking about their performances and I was thinking about, you know, just just the way it felt like as, as a whole. But the structure of it is really cool. Um, and, you know, the way that it was broken up. And I think I think that's um sort of uh, innovative in a way that some of the other um, screenplays in this category um, aren't. And so yeah. I, I wish it was that. But what what about you two? Who, if you had to pick, regardless of, you know, who's due and, and who'll win, like, uh, you know, who, who's your, your heart uh, choice? I'm going with Belfast, personally, or mm-hmm. Worst Person in the World. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Belfast moved me in ways that I was not expecting. Um, you know, seeing it sort of in a vacuum, like a lot, like I think even before TIFF. Um, so I, I, that says I'm sitting in that feeling that I had of seeing it outside of the whole awards vacuum and the way it moved me. I really thought it had a great structure um, as well. But Worst Person in the World is definitely... I think the more daring screenplay of any of these. And I respect that. So I, it, it's between those two for me. Yeah. I feel like the worst person in the world, when we respond to it and respond to its freshness, it, a lot of that is a function of the writing and, yeah. it, you know, and it is a function of, of creating those, those characters on the page and letting them grow over, over time. So, I mean, it really is a triumph of writing. I do love Paul Thomas Anderson's work in licorice pizza. I, I hope he prevails, but you know, this one is a toss up. But speaking of foreign language films that are breaking into the brackets, if we go right over to adapted screenplay, there's another situation just like The Worst Person in the World. And here are the nominees for that. Uh, we have Sean Hader for, for Coda. 
We have Ryusuke Hamaguchi and Takamasa Oe for Drive My Car. John Spates, Danny Villeneuve, and Eric Roth for Dune. Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter. And Jane Campion for The Power of the Dog. So what are we thinking on this one? Joey, what, what do you say? Well, like I was saying before, I think the WGA, uh, there are so many, we can usually look to that as at least some sort of guide for where Oscar might go. Uh, But because they do have so many exclusions, I'm more hesitant to say that Sean Heater winning for CODA there um, indicates that she's going to also win here. I think there's a strong possibility of that, but I think the Academy overall might respect the writing behind power of the dog or even lost daughter a little Mm -hmm. bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, I think drive my car has elements of being really fantastic. And, you know, it has really great little tidbits of scenes here and there, but I think as a whole, I don't think necessarily think Academy voters are going to be using their vote for that film on its screenplay. I would assume they're going to go more in the international slash director route with their votes there. I don't necessarily know that it's the screenplay that, that speaks to them um, enough to vote for it here. Obviously it was enough for the writers to nominate it, but um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with power of the dog right now with Coda being a potential spoiler. Mm, interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, those two, I think are, are the front runners. Um, my wish would win uh obviously no surprise for anyone who's been listening is um Maggie Gyllenhaal for The Lost Daughter um I just thought that was that was uh, a beautiful adaptation um and you know it'd be great to see her win I I'm not sure she will but um but just love that one just for you, the Josh? scene of Olivia yelling in the movie theater alone yes, yes, like, well, excuse yes. me we're trying to watch this film <laughs> like know. that is an in- internal monologue of mine now yeah <laughs> That could be the new Nicole Kidman AMC ad. That just- <laughs> <laughs> Somebody made a meme of that. Somebody made a oh meme of, of Olivia yelling at Nicole and being like, we're trying to watch this film. That's amazing. Uh, amazing. So let's get into Best International Feature Film. Uh, Drive My Car from Japan, Flea from Denmark, The Hand of God, Italy, Lunana, A Yak in the Classroom from Bhutan, and The Worst Person in the World, Norway, Joey. What do you think? I mean, Drive My Car, I think, yeah. is hands down the one that's going to win here. You can't look at none of these other films. I mean, Worst Person in the World came close. It has two nominations for screenplay and international feature. But I mean, Drive My Car, Best Picture nomination, um, international nomination, screenplay nomination, and director nomination. I mean, you know, nothing else here comes close. Flea, yes, has is making history as being the first film nominated for international documentary and animated. But I'm not necessarily sure that enough people feel that it is even strong enough in all of those categories separately to vote for it in those mm, ones. So I, I'm not, yeah, I'm not sure that um, anything can overtake drive my car here. And I am just so stunned. <laughs> I saw what you did there. That... Over, overtake drive my car, <laughs> pass the lane, well, you know, whatever. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, I just, it, I look at like hand of God here and I'm just like, why? why <laughs> that movie just got on my nerves like no other so i'm just mm. hoping that that i should well, I shouldn't say hoping it doesn't win but i mean i just am so shocked that <laughs> no. it, it is even in here so it's yeah, okay it won't. <laughs> no it will not yeah. it definitely will not yeah what about you josh i uh i agree totally i think the momentum behind drive my car the acceleration you might say (laughs) josh you might need to put the brakes on these cars this this metaphor needs an oil change but yeah drive my car is 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 reached a point (laughs) where i I mean i i really do think that this is this is probably where where 
maybe will only win is best international feature film. And, yeah. I, and I think it's a deserving winner too. And, and a historic one for its four nominations, but I, I don't see the other ones overtaking. It's also my, my personal favorite. Should we, should we shift over to best documentary <laughs> feature? Yes. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so best documentary feature, we have Ascension, Attica, Flea, Summer of Soul, and Writing with Fire. Joey, who's your pick? I think Summer of Soul for sure has it in the bag here. Um, at, at least, you know, not just in the vacuum of the uh, secret ballots that we're doing. Most people seem to be voting for this, but I also think the reasoning here that they're giving is something that is more universal. It's it's saying that this is a film that is sort of high, a very timely film that is highlighting something that not a lot of people were aware was going on. So it combines great filmmaking with Questlove's celebrity behind pushing, sort of pushing it with a very timely subject matter um, that I think is just a perfect combination of things to succeed in this category. So um, yeah, I, I think Summer of Soul has it in the bag. Awesome. And I think that's a, that, I think that's a will win and a should win yes. um, in, in that category. I, I, I actually, I, I think that a flea in a way might, might feel more timely for people. I mean, given the refugee situation happening in Ukraine right now. Um, but that said, I, there's no one who is more popular than Questlove is on the circuit. And yeah, <laughs> I think that, he, I think that that's a major factor as well. For sure. Why don't we move on to best actor in a leading role? The nominees for that category are Javier Bardem for being the Ricardos, Benedict Cumberbatch for the power of the dog. Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom, Will Smith for King Richard, and Denzel Washington for The Tragedy of Macbeth. Joey, what do you think? Yeah, well, this is another one where, um, you know, Will Smith has just been dominating completely too much to predict anybody else at this point, though I do think... Andrew Garfield is the spoiler here, if any, because um, his wow. performance, he's Andrew Garfield has really been working the circuit. He's very well liked. He's super charismatic in all of his interviews that he's doing and TV appearances. And it's also just it, it's it's a movie that really speaks to actors more, the, more so than I think any other performance in this category outside of maybe Javier, although I think Javier's performance is a little bit more muted um, in terms of what actors are looking for when you're looking for an actor playing an actor. But um, I think that Andrew Garfield's performance is just it speaks to theater kids. It speaks to uh, people who love cinema because this is such a great tale of like an artist sort of sacrificing essentially their life in some ways for the greatness of their art. And I think that that's really going to speak to people in Hollywood. So potential spoiler, Andrew Garfield, but he doesn't have the report card to back up overtaking Will Smith at this point. The two people that I spoke to this weekend about their Oscar ballots that they were casting both are voting for Andrew Garfield. And you're absolutely right. It's like if you are a theater kid, like there's no other choice for it in, in a personal sense. But Will Smith has just been so dominant in terms of in terms of winning award and, and modest in his speeches. And he's hitting all the right notes, right, strategically in terms of what he's saying. He hasn't made any missteps, which is something that can happen, you know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it would just be such a shocker if he didn't win. Um, you know, it's also his time and yeah, I would, I would be shocked. Um, probably the least that suspenseful category for me. Um, but for going from that to probably the most suspenseful category for me, <laughs> best actress, uh, Jessica Chastain, the eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman, the lost daughter, Penelope Cruz, parallel mothers, Nicole Kidman being the Ricardos and Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Joey. 
Oh gosh. I mean, this is <laughs> my my favorite and also my nightmare category. Um I I mean Jessica Chastain, I've said on this podcast before, my favorite performance of the year. So you my heart is early. with that one. You called it that is, one early. Oh, it's yeah. so good. It's just yeah. it's such a divine performance. Um but I Oh gosh. I am like my brain wants to say stay with Jessica. She has won all of the precursors, but I, again, coming back to these secret ballots that I'm doing, I have not talked to a single person who has not voted for Penelope Cruz. And I think <laughs> that I'm so excited wild. to hear that. I'm so excited to hear that. I don't know if this is just, you know, I'm talking to the only handful of people in the Academy who are voting for her to <laughs> win, or if it really is indicative of broader support because they're not just saying that they are voting for her. They're saying that like everybody in their circles is sort of wow. buzzing about Penelope Cruz. So <sighs> I do think that there is, this also speaks to the power of the sort of uh, culmination of more international people in the Academy who I think, which I think also explains the reason why someone like Gaga was snubbed because she is a commercial celebrity. Um, she's someone that I think people who might have voted for Penelope Cruz. Like, I don't think you're going to get two people who are voting for Penelope Cruz and also Gaga on that ballot. So I think the international vote is a lot stronger uh, than it used to be five, 10 years ago. So I really think there is precedent or not precedent. There is um, a, a sort of foundation b- that has been laid this whole time, sort of under the radar for Penelope. And maybe she wasn't a surprise nominee. Maybe she was the one who was there all along that they, that Academy members had been thinking of this whole time. It's always so hard to say with that international voter, right? Yeah. Like, the, the impulse is to think they'll vote for international films, but a lot of the international voters I've talked to, like they like Dune. They like don't look up. They like mm-hmm. stars. So it's 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 very hard to sort of like paint that broad brush and say because the the Ampus votership is sort of widening out to an international scope that they're going to vote for that. But I do think uh, if if this narrative was written by Hollywood, that Penelope Cruz would be the surprise at the end, right? Because she hasn't yeah. she hasn't at that moment yet, like like everyone else has. So. Well, in a long time, she's, I mean, she's, but she's, she hasn't won for Best Actress, but for Best right. Supporting, right? She wants yeah. for Supporting. But yeah. I think that it's also, I'm not necessarily saying that it's because it's a foreign film that the international vote is going for. I think that you can also attribute something like Anthony Hopkins winning last year to the international vote because they seem to, when it comes to choosing between a celebrity and a good performance, I just feel like there's a different standard for cinema internationally. And I feel like they're going to go for the performance that you know, speaks to them on a more intellectual level than say something that is just a big showy sort of acting performance. And I definitely think that Jessica Chastain is a big showy performance in a lot of ways, but I think, you know, to, to the more internationally inclined cinephile vote, I think that that goes to Penelope over someone like Jessica. And is Jessica your pick for like who you would like to see win? 100% in this category. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, amazing. But, you know, you can never count out Olivia Coleman. Um, no. <laughs> you can yeah. never, I mean, there's just so much love for her, too. So right. it'll be this one, this one, I think, will be such an interesting category. Best Director, Kenneth Branagh for Belfast, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson, Licorice Pizza, Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg, West Side Story. What do you think, Joey? I think that Jane Campion, again, not to be fully reliant on the precursors, there has not been much that she hasn't won. And I think that 
this whole Sam Elliott thing has only helped her given the, you know, really great clapbacks that she's had for him. She was making headlines sort of at the same time that she was making headlines for the Venus and Serena Williams thing. (laughs) However, in speaking with some Academy members, I do think that they are not as inclined to hold that against her um, than, you know, maybe some people on Twitter might be. And that's not me advocating one way or the other for that. But um, yeah, I think that there's just a lot of respect for the, all of the different things that she sort of, was able to weave together to make this brilliant adaptation. Uh, So many different crafts, so many amazing performances. I mean, you know, four of her actors getting nominated just speaks to how much the actors love this movie. They're the most powerful branch. Mm -hmm. I think that Jane Campion for sure has it in the bag Um, with Steven Spielberg being the potential spoiler. I think just because of the scope of what he did with West side story. Yeah. I feel like with Campion's film, it's the one that feels most redolent of directing. I mean, in yes. the sense that it feels mm-hmm. like a real Jane Campion film. It's an expression of, uh-huh. of her style and it's an expression of what she does well. The performances are there. And, and as much as I personally love Licorice Pizza, I, I, I just can't really imagine Jane winning. Also, every single time Jane is accepting an award, she is stressing um, – you know her or her own trajectory as as being the only mm-hmm. woman in the room for so many years yeah. and for so long, and I think that a lot of people will be voting for her as this as the sole woman in this category and potentially to make history to have two women win in two years in a row for best director after Chloe Zhao won for Nomadland. Yeah, yeah, thousand percent agree. She sh- she should win, and I think she will win. Mm-hmm. Um, so lastly, best picture, the big one, Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up. Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Who's going to win? Nerve-wracking. Oh, gosh. If you had asked me two days ago, I I would have said Power of the Dog, but I am now going with Coda. um, Because, you know, with two or three days left in Oscar voting, which we know a lot of people vote on the first day, and then a lot of people vote on the last day. So yeah, it's that yeah. middle ground that it, this is hitting in that makes it so difficult. Um, but Coda winning PGA is what tips this for Coda, in my opinion, because PGA uses the same voting structure as the Academy. Now, that hasn't always worked out in terms of predicting in recent years. Um, some PGA winners have not gone on to win the Oscar, even though they are uh, using the same voting system. But I think... Coda is just a different kind of film. It's a movie that hits you in the heart. It is speaking to regular audiences. It's speaking to people in the industry in ways that I think The Power of the Dog is a more respectable movie, maybe, to people in the industry. But Coda, you can't deny the sort of passion and emotion that people have or feeling when watching that movie, especially if they are only sort of hearing about this movie in recent weeks as it is picking up on the awards trail and Mm -hmm. more industry voters might be watching it, that immediate emotional impact of that movie might be stronger to linger in their memories than something like the respect they have for the power of the dog, which they likely saw a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. The the preferential ballot definitely helps in this case. And also, yeah, I'm hearing that so often from voters, like that people admire the power of the dog and not necessarily love it. And I also feel to some degree, and, and this will be proven out or not on Sunday, but but uh, there might be an anti-Netflix sentiment here. And The Power of the Dog, like we've said, is very much a Jane Campion movie and as such might not be a Best Picture winner. It feels a little bit like the way we thought about Roma and The Irishman 
um, in in the sense that these these films are are great pieces of cinema, but they don't necessarily seem like best pictures. And maybe the Cooley has been drunk on this one, and maybe we should widen out and see. Oh, of course it was going to be Coda. Yeah, but then another another streamer, right? <laughs> no, no, except for Netflix, of like another streamer. Yeah, but I think it's just the looking at. If we look at the three huge pre, uh, guild precursors that we sort of put the most stock in, Delta, or um, PGA, DGA, and SAG, I mean, the power of the dog has only won at the DGA, which is more of an individualized yeah. award. It's mm-hmm. it, they're voting for Jane as much as they're sort of voting for the movie at DGA, and uh, yeah, I mean, with Coda taking PGA and SAG, I mean, I don't think that. You know, there's any denying that at this point that it's it's probably going to be Coda. But I'd say keep an eye on Don't Look Up too, actually, for a potential spoiler. <laughs> that would be that. <laughs> event. That would be a comet hitting my house, basically. Yes, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's going to be exciting. Looking forward to Sunday. Can't believe we're here. Thanks, Joy, for joining us for those predictions. After the break, we'll have our interview with Jane Campion, director of The Power of the Dog. She talks to us about working with Benedict Cumberbatch and Kirsten Dunst and her actors and her process and how it was to make The Power of the Dog. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Awardist. Here are clips from our Jane Campion interview. In this first clip, Jane Campion talks about the differences between campaigning for The Power of the Dog and campaigning for The Piano, which she did in 1994. It's hard to compare, you know, like so many things were going on for me, like real tragedies in my life as well. You know, at the time of The Piano, like shortly after the Palm Dora, my baby died. And um, it was a real horror, you know, like I was flung into the deepest grief I've ever experienced um, in my life. And then six months later, I was pregnant again. And so when I was at the Academy receiving the award, I actually was about five months pregnant with Alice. So, and I was like, oh, I don't want anyone to know or see, you know, I'm just so nervous. All I cared about was my baby, of course. So it was a very different experience. And I hardly participated, actually, in any of the um, press because I was just too wrecked. So this time, you know, I have been able to participate a lot more. Here's Campion on the hidden layers of the power of the dog. I think that sometimes the buried meanings of the story don't reveal themselves to you till quite a lot later. My psyche um, has a way of attaching itself to material and I, I don't even know why I'm doing it, you know, and it's not till really months or even a year into the process that I go like, oh, my God, okay, I get it now, you know. And I think one of the big deep revelations for me was like realising that I had had a person like Phil in my life who was a bit of a dark nanny, you know, that really haunted my sister and me. And um, we always knew where she was in the house and, you know, our parents didn't believe us that she was, you know, being brutal and um, telling lies and, you know, 
manipulating us in cruel ways. Um, and so we really had to handle it for, for a long time, like five years, you know. So I understood that uh, depth of what Rose was going through. And, I, you know, once that sort of revealed itself to me, I started to work with those, you know, ideas as well, you know, in the way that we shot the film and, you know, made Phil's footsteps really particular so we could always hear them with the little tingles of the spur and the, you know, the fall of the foot creeping up on her and always finding a little private moment to torture her in, you know, which was what the nanny used to do too. Like even though there was crowds of people, he, you know, like if there wasn't the dinner party, like Phil would find that moment he could really put the knife into Rose uh, when the other people were just leaving and it was just him and her. And, you know, he was whistling the tune that Ruditsky March that Rose was trying to play, but it's failing to. Campion has a very specific philosophy of directing. Here's Campion on the erotics of certain images. I really like work that has many different levels on it. And, you know, like the, obviously the, the top level that people relate to a story is like they're just really interested in the journey of these characters and what's going to happen to them. And then there's a sub, more subversive level that you can um, also have the story operating on and that it and but for me I think both levels have to be, you know, working. And for an example of that might be like when um <clears throat> Phil picks up the flowers in the in the uh, restaurant of Rose and Peter and um he puts a big dirty finger and real close up into the the you know delicate stamens that Peter has made like threatening to kind of wreck it, but he's kind of does it in a, I think, I mean, we would do it quite quickly, but quite a suggestive way. And um, so there's that slightly erotic suggestion of, you know, Phil's teasing or humiliating or, of, of Peter about these feminine little paper flowers. And then, you know, the burning of it casually um, when he lights a cigarette is is a kind of suggestion too of, um, to me, of what's to come, you know, that it's going to be explosive. Now, that is really, you know, not something you're going to, you know, because it's just part of the fabric of the story, but at the same time it's a little bit more, you know, or the way it's filmed is um, quite tight and um, brings you right in there. So those are the ways that I think, you, you know, I've come in and explored the material. And it's um, I, sometimes I think of a bit like when Muhammad Ali used to say, you know, like I'm going to float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. <laughs> that was sort of in the background of my thinking was like, you know, letting the story be out there and then come in and find those moments that, give you a real insight into the other levels of what's going on with these characters, like even just Phil going and washing with mud down by the river, you know, for the first time, you go like, oh, this is going to be more personal, you know, than you might have expected from the story so far. Here's Campion on working with cinematographer Ari Wegner. It was really a dance with the actors, with the circumstances and with our preparation. Um, that we kept refining and kept changing and adding to and um, until we felt we had the right mixture of, you know, coming close and handheld with um, Phil in his moments when he actually showed us something, when he actually gave us a private moment, 
and not standing back at those times. That was a real hint to us, like, yes, we've got to do that and we should do it more and, we, you know, and, these, and the other details that we needed to really highlight, we started to understand that um, that was going to be our way. The production of Power of the Dog was interrupted by the pandemic and the lockdown. Here's Campion on the advantages of having a break. For me, it's an ideal scenario. I would always love to shoot that way, to shoot half the film and then have a holiday or a break and a break and a rethink and come back with this new energy. And that's what we did. We really, everybody just came back with this amazing new intention and energy to, because uh, we all felt so lucky that we had a chance to finish it and that we were working again and that we loved it and we loved our characters and the story and the opportunity. So I think the second half had an amazing um, strength to it. I mean, Cody says I came back, you know, more like a lion, you know, ready to, you know, (laughs) kill this piece of material. (laughs) Jane spoke to us about several of the actors in The Power of the Dog, starting with Benedict Cumberbatch. He was on my list high up, you know, for people that might be really good for this role and partly because he was so unexpected and I really admire him as an actor. Um, And I think he's really beautiful and also a little scary and he's charismatic. You know, we've seen that in um, different performances, like the Sherlock one, you know, like he's, he's kind of fireworks with dialogue and... He's got a lot of sort of special capacities, like the character Phil. Um, I mean, that his English is sort of unusual, but I guess because of the period and the fact that his family came from the east of America, like I guess Connecticut or somewhere, um, it felt like maybe he would have it bring some good tones to it, you know, being the padrone and, you know, the boss in an old, older-fashioned way, not like the cowboy typical way because really the different thing about George and uh, Phil is their parents were new to ranch life and they learned ranch life from Bronco Henry. So, you know, he was also Yale-educated, so he was kind of wearing two hats. Um, and I thought, you know, I guess when, me, when I met Benedict, I felt like um, he and I were a good match. It's really a joy when you can work with an actor that lets you in, that really wants to um, work with a director because you can only really be as close as the actor's going to allow it, you know. Uh, you can't force these things and they tend to allow you if they are that they have that nature and if you're offering good things to them um, and that you create a, you know, a good friendship. And that's what uh, happened with Benedict and I. We did create a really, a really great working um, friendship, and you know, of course, that's gone on and spilled into real life as well. And um, it was just a joy to accompany him on that um, journey. He's he's a perfectionist and is really tough on himself, and I guess the same way that. That's the thing that I think is most like uh, Phil about Benedict is he's a, a sort of angry perfectionist. You know, that's where his anger comes, like if he feels he didn't do anything quite right or something like that or it could be better, he can be quite brutal. But in every other way, he's um, really a darling. You know, and Kirsten's 
instance, I remember seeing Melancholia and just being completely knocked out by how incredibly brilliant she was and how the whole emotional world of the film's strength came from her and her sweetness and her depression and her heart. And I thought, she's, my God, an extraordinary actor, you know, to hold those very difficult feelings the way she did for that story. For me with Kirsten, I, you know, I think she carries such a beautiful kindness and womanliness and also depth of pain, you know, and sadness that she needed to be able to um, at times sink into to do this role. And I, I think that was the hard part because, it, you know, in Kirsten's personal life, she, you know, you probably heard her speak about it. She's left that more difficult time behind, you know, and to have to revisit it, I think it was tough. Yeah. I think she's a, many people's um, one of one of the favourite female actors around, actually. I mean, I think we all love Kirsten's work. And, you know, I can remember seeing her in Sophia's amazing film, Virgin Suicides, and just thinking, oh, my God, who is this amazing young actress? She's absolutely riveting. Yeah, I mean, I think of her as, you know, like a kind of, you know, she has qualities from the old film stars, you know, like Laurent Bacall, those people. And, you know, all the, the greatest of them, as well as being quite modern as, you know, today. And, you know, obviously she is incredibly funny to, you know, hang out with and, and irreverent and uh, cheeky and, you know, says whatever she thinks all the time. <laughs> and then Jesse Plemons is an actor whose work I've been watching, you know, and in some ways he reminds me of um, the great late Philip Seymour Hoffman, um, not just because of the, their fairness, but because of the sort of grounded depth of the work. Very different in tone and feel. And um, but uh, Jesse was another gift as George. He really and and the fact that he's actually married to Kirsten. Um, as Kirsten kept saying, you're getting two for the price of one. <laughs> Jesse, Jesse is riveting to watch because. As little as he did, it was all in the art, in his art. You know, it's you were completely with him. You completely believe him every moment. And to look through his different takes was very intriguing because each one of them was absolutely usable. You, you never sort of had a really off moment when you think, "Oh, whoops." There's no, there's nothing like that. They're all versions that you could definitely use. Um, so he's a an, an, an terribly intriguing actor, and I tried to ask him, you know, how come, how did you find this space in your work? You know, how did you get to be so incredibly grounded? And you know, was this just the way you are? And he went. He apparently worked with someone in Texas, um, you know, a kids' drama school thing. That so he he figured it out for himself what he wanted to do, what he wanted to give. But my suspicion is he's always had this gift, you know. It's hard to replicate something like that. I think the project is so lucky to have Cody playing Peter. I don't know if it would be nearly the film it is um, without him. I mean, it's a wonderfully conceived character in the book, but Cody is better than the character in the book. He really brings something uh, magical and other to it that um, surpasses the, the book's version of Peter. He has a sort of philosophical bent and a um, mystery to him and a, a sort of tall, willowy elegance that is really unexpected 
And it was something, you know, like I was always thinking, oh, is this guy's a young. I mean, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be shorter? And, of course, <laughs> Cody is spectacularly tall. I really loved that. And thin. I've always loved Cody's work. He's an Australian actor originally. And um, so I started haunting different sites where he was, you know, Instagram and different things. And and finally asked him if he would meet and we'd do an audition uh, when I was in America looking for cow hands, you know. So the moment he walked in the door, I just went, oh, my God, that's just going to be Peter. He's just perfect. And we started talking as if I was interviewing him as Peter. And uh, he was just so interesting and clever about his secret understandings of the world and what fate meant and, you know, what him and his mother's life would be if he had it his way. And I just went, oh, my God, I feel like rewriting it (laughs) and adding his insights into it. So he was a real gift and continued to be so um, as, as we went in to make the movie. And it was very charming to see. Uh, Benedict and join um, Cody as much as he did during the rehearsal. He really would say to me, he's very good, Jane. He's very good. I hope you're getting enough of him. <laughs> I said, I, I think I am. I can't stop filming him. <laughs> A special thank you to Jane Campion for sitting down and speaking to us for the awardist. The Power of the Dog is now available on Netflix. That's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Awardist. Please subscribe and listen along every week where you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com slash awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race and follow me on Twitter at ClarissaNYC1, Josh at Josh Rothkoff, and Joey at Joey Nolfi. This episode of The Awardist podcast is hosted by Clarissa Cruz and Josh Rothkoff, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Executive produced by Shana Crockmall. Edited and mixed by Sammy Junio and Lauren Klein. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>